Welcome to The Future is Female Powerlifting, a show where women of all strengths can explore the world of female powerlifting. I am your host, Heidi Donnell, a 60-kilo powerlifting gym owner, and each episode we bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you unlock your true inner strength potential. Thanks for tuning in. Aloha, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to episode 39. We are continuing on with our Q&A that we had with Miss Christina Myers a few weeks back, and we had so many questions that we actually had to break it up into two parts. So this week, we went over some awesome questions, and I will get into that in just one second. I did want to give a big shout out to everybody that connects with me on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you again for letting me know that you're listening and sharing that so other women can also hear about not only our interviews where we get to dive deep into a lot of powerlifting women's lives, but where we get to do things like this, Q&As. I mean, we talk a lot about gritty things, not only just um, technique and actual powerlifting, but mindset and what it takes to get in there. And I want to read a um, review that Miss Shannon CT91 left on uh, Apple Podcast. So she said, I love this podcast. Amazing information podcast interviewing the best of the best female powerlifters. Love being able to listen and learn new information about mindset and being inspired to be better. Thank you so much, Shannon. If you have a few minutes today and you have an Apple phone, holla at your girl. Please leave us a five-star review. Or if you can, and you got a little bit extra time, I would love to hear how you enjoy the show. And if you could take a few seconds and write something down, I would love it. Now on today's podcast with our Q&A with Miss Coach Christina Myers, we go over a few things. Let's go break it down on the questions that we went over. This could go for men or women, but how should one handle body composition insecurities in powerlifting? Period weight gain right before weigh-ins? Cutting weight? What sort of mindset should we have? Nutrition program for people who are on shift work and just want a basic quick meal prep. Struggling with protein intake. How do I get it in other places? DNA testing. Is there a way to train powerlifting even though I might genetically be more set up for endurance? Best things to focus on when not in meat prep and trying to gain muscle. Meat prep. Motivated in solid and nutrition, but outside of the meat prep, I am lost. How do I help? Tips for removing the slack out of the deadlift bar for long-limbed people. Best hand grip or position for squatting if you have wrist issues. And maybe just some tips on how to have a better health on your wrist. How many times a week do we train? All six days? Two days? What do we do? Is your nutrition different on your period? Should it be different on your period? Protein, collagen, vitamins, BCAs. How do we know where to start and what to even do with it? And this episode is brought to you by Core Strength and Performance, my gym in Huntsville, Alabama, where we live through strength. And if you are looking to train in powerlifting or general strength and you live in the North Alabama area or uh, Tennessee area, we are 
working with people every day to help get them stronger. And if you're interested in online powerlifting and you need somebody to help guide you through maybe your first powerlifting meet, you can find more information at core256.com or you can visit me on Instagram or Facebook. And of course, Coach Christina Myers is also available and you can find more on her in our show notes as well in uh, Instagram at Lift Heavy Princess. If you just find Christina Myers, you'll be able to get more information as well. Let's get it started with Christina. Okay, so this question was from Matt. Um, so it's N M W Stinson. He asks, this could go for men or women, but how should one handle body composition insecurities in powerlifting? Knowing that performance can be best in a weight class where you may not be happiest with the way you look. What are some mental approaches to dealing with that? I feel like there's a few parts to this question. Um, from training perspective, if a client said, I want to look and feel great and perform well, what would your plan look? How would your plan look for them? Christina, why don't you start us off? <laughs> so I think this question, um, I like this question because yes, this is too. one that applies to me personally as well. Ah, um, but I think it really, it comes down to the, the individual lifter and what's the most important goal to them. Um, so, I mean, of course, if you got to rule out disordered eating and body dysmorphia and any of that kind of stuff as their reason for wanting to be in a specific weight class, but if that's not the case, um, and you prefer how you look and feel at like a certain body composition, I don't think there's any reason that you can't work to maintain that. Yeah. Um, and I said body composition, not body weight for a reason, because as you gain muscle mass and you improve your fitness levels over the time that you've been training, you might weigh more, but you might still be sitting at a body composition that you feel happy about. So like you still might in, end up changing weight classes, but you didn't sacrifice your looks to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah. But um, I think you just have to know that there's the caveat that if you avoid weight gain, on purpose, it might slow down your one RM strength progress, but as long as you're okay with taking that risk, I don't think there's a reason you can't do that. Yeah. Um, just got to make sure that you really communicate what your goals are and how you're feeling with your coach so that they can, um, adjust accordingly and help you figure out where the best place for you is going to be. But I think the feel good, lift good is going to apply here. That's terrible grammar. Feel good, lift well. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, that works for me. Feel good. Situation. Live good. <laughs> that applies to the situation because if you feel more confident in yourself, it's going to carry over into your training and your performance. Yeah. So it's like, you got to find the happy medium there. I feel like I say that a lot, but yeah. if you're happy with yourself, you're going to do better in the gym and you're going to feel more confident and you're going to perform better at your meets. And so you might've gotten to where you were going without actually going up a weight class, but, um, I don't know. I think you have to make sure that you don't just have this like goal that all of us powerlifters are going to be 10% body fat and super lean. And at the same time, it doesn't mean that you have to get to a point where you hate your body or you feel sluggish and you know, or you're putting your health at risk yeah. outside of like the normal risk that comes with any sport that you're going to compete in. But yeah. you know, going overboard with just stuffing your face to try and get bigger versus yeah. trying to gain the weight in a healthy way. Um, and if you need to move up a weight class to be competitive, but you're worried about your body composition and you don't want to just gain weight really fast, if you make a point to do it slowly, um, like take one or two years to get to that next weight class and you kind of go through phases where you are 
you know, gaining weight on purpose and maybe you do a mini cut and then you gain and maybe you do maintenance for a while. Um, so if you arrange your training and your nutrition in a way that supports increasing your body weight, but keeping your body composition similar um, to where you started, then you'll probably feel better about it because you're still going to like how you look and how you move. Yes. Um, I think everybody always says mass moves mass in powerlifting, and yeah. that's sort of true. Yeah. But muscle is what moves weight, not yeah. body fat. So yeah. just gaining weight might give you slightly better leverages, but actually gaining muscle mass is where you're really going to get stronger. So you just have to decide like which goals are the most important to you and what your timeline is to reach them and then decide from there where you're going to go. Yeah. I mean, I think we've had a lot of instances where we've known people who's tried to gain weight in order to maximize that weight class and then maybe gone too far, you know, where it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, just way too heavy. They are sluggish. They don't perform well. Their fitness is, is lowered. Perfect example, uh, is Mariana. So she is Number one, right? Mariana Gasparin for the eight man elite. I was talking to her about, you know, what did you do different for this meet? Well, since there was no weight class, so to say it was 165 and under, she decided she wanted to gain weight, you know, to fill out for that because she normally is in the 123 to 132. And she said that she couldn't take it. She had gained 10 pounds and that she was like, I felt awful. I couldn't sleep good. She was saying all these things that she's like, so she did a cut literally like three weeks before the meet because she just didn't like how she felt. <laughs> and, and so I, I think about that. <laughs> yeah, she was like, no, I can't do it. And, you know, in the end, she's her own person. Right. So she's like, she right. told her, she told her husband, who's her coach, like, listen, I do not feel good. I do not want to move up in a class. I think what probably happened is she just stopped forcing the food. Cause I think that's mm-hmm. what she was trying to do to get up in that weight. Um, and so she was sitting in the, I think in the 150s or something like that. So she dropped down to like 139 or something in that area where um, she felt like, I feel okay in this, like I feel enough. But I think that's something to think about too. Yes, you might be more competitive at a higher weight, maybe, you know, but are you, what is everything else that's going with it? Are you feeling okay with your training? Are you feeling okay with the way you move? Um, but I think you hit it right on all the the great spots. And and if you are planning on moving up, yes, you should be working on putting more muscle on. And that does take time. Take time. Yep. And I've, I've actually done this too. I moved up to 63, my second year of powerlifting um, from 57 to 63 kilos. And I hated it. And I, I never maxed out the weight class because I couldn't, like I was right. eating so much and we did do it in a smart way. It took me a year and a half to get there. Um, I didn't just like gain 12 pounds, but <laughs> I had to eat so much. I didn't like how I felt. I looked great. Like I looked fine. Um, yeah. but I hated how I felt because I just felt sluggish and I've yeah. always been so small that even though it wasn't like, I wasn't overly fat or anything even remotely close to that. I just didn't like how it felt. My total didn't go up. Ah, it actually went down how funny. <laughs> because I wasn't as confident. Yeah. And so I came back down to 57 the next year and like hit a ton of PRs was just performing better overall. And so we said like, at least for me, like 57 is where I belong for now. Eventually I won't be able to get to it and I'll go to 63, but for right now, 57 is where I just do better. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if we're going to stay in powerlifting and we're, we're talking about powerlifting, then the, the goal needs to be on how well you feel and how, how well you perform, you know, because if we're focusing too much on visual, 
then it sort of drifts away from it again. You know, mm-hmm. if we're still thinking that I think a lot of people still battle with that. I mean, how many of yeah. the first thing I always hear is like, I don't want to wear a singlet. I don't want to wear a singlet in front of everybody. And of course, the the following answer from almost anybody who's been lifting a long time is like, nobody gives a shit what you look like right. in your singlet. You know? We all look terrible. We all look, everybody look, everybody got a fupa. I don't care your fucking 8% body fat. <laughs> Everybody's going to have something. Um, so I think reiterating to your client, hey, this is about performing well, maybe having cur- encouragement towards those things. Like you did great. That was a great in pool. You know, not really highlighting maybe visually if they are insecure about how they look in that weight class. Let's move on to periods. Isn't that a great transition? (laughs) Cycles. Um, So we have from hamstrings, high hamstrings. I love these. I, I do so bad with some of these. Like, I'm just like, how do I not read these so good? High hamstrings. She asked, period weight gain right before weigh-ins. Can we talk? Yes. Right before weigh-ins. Um, so it is kind of general. I, I think I'll start this one off. Um, I can talk about this because I've had my period three different <laughs> meets. So I actually got my period the day of the meet, uh, that night of weigh-ins. And I forgot when the other one was. But I get a lot of weight gain uh, when it comes to water. And so I was trying to cut weight and actually didn't make weight for two of them. I missed it for – at half a pound for one. And the other one, I just said, screw it because it was already kind of like not going right. Uh, There's really not much you can do to mitigate hormonal weight gain. Um, If you are trying to cut weight and you're on your period, I would say that that is going to be very difficult and everybody's different. I gain a lot of weight. I didn't used to. Now I do. Now that I'm older, I find that my body has more fluctuations. And we've kind of talked about this, how PMS is not that big of a deal for you, but for me, it's like fucking hell. I, and I used to love that I was like, oh, my parents are so light. And this, and then all of a sudden, it's like, damn, I am old. <laughs> it's like the next step is the ovaries are going to shrivel up and go away. Like it's, it's like turning, I feel like it's blossoming into something. I'm like, oh, this is hell. Then it's to be like, ah, we're done working now. We're just going to close shop. Um, so for me, if I know that my period is coming through um, or if the timing of it, I do kind of keep track of my cycle. Um, I'm going to be realistic with certain things I already know, like for myself, like I've tried to cut weight and I have, I've cut seven pounds even during that time. Um, and that was a lot for me, but I needed eight. So wasn't enough, you know, because I was sort of fluctuating up and down. So I'm not sure if this question, uh, is asking how to mitigate it. If, you know, I'm assuming that's kind of what you're asking. I, I, I'm going to say that there are probably certain things that will cause you to hold more water. So you might want to let go of certain things. However, it's one of those things where I'm like, well, do you want to lift good? If you want to lift good, just don't even fuck with the weight, the water cut or the any kind of cutting. Um, if you just want to perform well, um, I would think about the foods that you are eating that make you feel better um, or don't make you feel good. That would probably just be my two cents on it. What about you, Christina? I'm not sure how you interpreted this question. Well, I have good news and bad news. Um, <laughs> your period, like your your follicular phase is actually one of your strongest phases of your menstrual cycle. I mean, of your whole cycle, your whole 28 or however long yours is. Um, but I have that answer in a different question. So just as far as it, it um, pertains to weigh-ins, I'm like you. I've had experiences where 
you know, nationals falls the same week as my, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't change the date of the meet, um, or just a local meet, you know, and you're like, ah, oh, well, whatever. But if you don't have to cut weight on your period, don't do it. Like it's not worth the stress and the, especially when you're already hormonal and probably a little emotional, like just don't do that to yourself. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you don't have a choice. Like um, nationals, if you don't make weight, you're you're no you're no longer competing or something right. like that. Or like you need a qualifying total and it's your only chance to get one. So there are going to be instances where I think it might be in your best interest to try and make weight. But like that's not your local meet. It's not your just for fun stuff. Like don't do that to yourself. Right. Um. But if you have to do it know where your cycle falls with regard to your weigh-in. Like how many days do you have? Are you supposed to start the day of weigh-ins or do you have like three days between when you start and when you're actually going to weigh in um, and kind of prepare ahead of time? Because like you have periods all year long. You don't just suddenly get them right before a meet. So pay attention to what your patterns are, like know how much weight you typically gain. Make sure your coach or whoever's in charge of your, your nutrition and all that stuff knows the situation. Um, and then basically make sure you leave room for your normal amount of period weight gain and like factor that into your plan for making weight. So let's say you normally gain three pounds right before you start your period, um, which is only a little bit. I know some people gain way more than that, but let's say it's three pounds. Um, then you need to be three pounds lighter than you normally would be when you start your cut or start your water load or whatever it is that you're doing, because you know, you're going to retain that much more water. Um, so like prepare ahead of time to already be where you need to be so that when you do start, you're ready. Like you knew that extra three pounds was coming and you were under already so that you're not stuck trying to figure out how to get it off when it's too late. So I like that. That's perfect. And that's exactly right. You can't change when you are going to nationals. So if you have no choice, that is some great, um, great ways to mitigate it. All right. So cutting weight, what sort of mindset should we have? This person, which is Sloan's abroad is afraid of losing strength. So why don't you start us off? So the beginning of this answer is exactly the same as the last one. Yes. Don't cut weight if you don't have to do it. Yeah. Um, especially, especially, especially if you are new to lifting, don't yeah. do that to yourself. Yes. Um, I feel like a lot of people think that cutting weight for a meet is like your rite of passage into being a power lifter. Like you're not a real one until you did it. Yeah. But it's really not like it adds so much extra stress and it's so many extra variables you have to account for on meet day when you're already worried about lifting. Yep. So if you're just a, like a new lifter or you just do it for fun, yep. don't do it. Just yeah. go and compete and have yeah. fun. Um, like I don't cut weight for every meet and I compete at the highest, well, one, almost the highest level. I haven't been to world, but you know, I compete at the national level and I don't cut weight for every meet. Only the ones where I need the qualifying total or I have to make weight you know, for nationals to be able to compete in that weight class. Like if you watch most of the highest level athletes, at at least on the, um, the drug free side, it might be a little different when they have some extra help making weight, um, the drug free and like the two hour weigh inside, like people usually go back and forth between two weight classes. Um, like if you see Jen Milliken, since you just had her on, she was a 57, she went up to 63, she came back down to 57. Now she's a 63 for good, but usually they have meets 
where they plan to cut because yeah. they're trying to get to world. So they're trying to do something specific. And then they have those times where they give themselves a break and they just go up a weight class and lift for fun. A lot of times it's the Arnold for people. If you watch people that go to nationals and they're a lighter weight class, they go to the Arnold and they lift heavier because they don't have to make weight. Right. Right. So that's why. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like if, if you're going to cut weight, you know, if, if you need the qualifying total, if you're at a higher level of competition, um, where it's worth it, or, you know, you're just, you're doing it for more than just a small hobby. Like you really want to be good at it. Yeah. Um, you want to make sure that you're close enough before you start a water load that you're going to make weight without having to do anything crazy. So I always tell women, um, one to three kilos above your weight class, make sure you're in that window before you start the water load. Yeah. Um, the smaller, like the lighter the weight class and the leaner you are, the closer you have to be because you're not going to be able to get as much water off. Yep. Um, and to get into that one to three kilo range, you want to make sure you get there by like follow smart diet principles and give yourself a lot more time than you think you need. Um, if you try and cut a lot of weight at the last minute, you're going to be like robbing yourself of all the calories and the energy that you need to recover in the most important part of your meat prep and that peaking phase. Yeah. Um, so make sure you start early, go slow and steady, uh, get adequate sleep and water, try and keep your neat levels up. So you're non-exercise activity. activity thermogenesis <laughs> basically like move around during the day when you're not in the gym like yeah. don't just sit and be a couch potato yeah um and because yeah, that's what happens like i don't want to expend any do. yes yeah. energy yes yeah <laughs> don't do that um and then try and get there a couple of weeks early so that you can spend your last couple of weeks training at the weight that you're going to be on the platform so if you have a two-hour way in you know, you might have to be a little closer than if you have a 24 hour weigh in, cause you can gain a little bit more weight back, but you're going to benefit from training with like similar leverages to what you're going to have on the platform. And you'll have a feel for what those weights are going to feel like. Um, and water loading and cutting it's, it's safe. I mean, the research that they've done on, they've done only a few studies on humans now, but it's safe as long as you cut reasonable amounts, yeah. like less than 3% of your body weight. And you don't do crazy stuff like eat zero carbs and avoid all sodium or whatever other crazy methods people have. And then just make sure you have a plan in place to rehydrate and replenish your electrolytes after weigh-ins. And I don't want to give you my entire, um, water cutting protocol for free, but <laughs> <laughs> it really, it's not that hard if you use your brain put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Because there is a lot of information out there that you could, right. you, and I've done it where I've done cuts, uh, where I'm not competing, but I've done a mini cut just to see, how much mm -hmm. I would actually cut down. Um, and normally my max is seven pounds. I mean, I, I've tried to cut more than that. And that was just too much for my little person. For me. I can cut about one with water. Okay. So one, I one, one and a half is about all I got before it, before I feel it. Yeah. And, and that's it. So. Yeah. And, and oh, it's, a, it's a huge difference. And I think if you're, and this question said, you know, the mindset, um, what sort of mindset should we have? I guess if you're afraid of losing strength, it is a possibility. So just know that if you, the more you cut, like Christina said, if you're right. talking about the more, the higher you get to that percentage, which she said 3%, I've heard people cutting 7%. Like I, those are the people that are going to feel it and they're going to lose the strength. Yes. And they've <laughs> talked about it. You know, these are people who have voiced, who are elite lifters. Um, Chris Duffin actually was one that cut 27 pounds. 
I forgot. How, it was something ridiculous. And he was flying to Australia. Okay, so he that flew. That makes a difference too. Travel is a huge thing. Huge for- thing. And you're talking about like a 20-hour flight. It's not like a four-hour flight. He flew over. So you're going to retain, possibly could retain water. All these other things that could happen, your bowels. I mean, there's so many things that can go sort of variables that can change for you. Um, but if you are going to do it, go all in. <laughs> like your mindset. Right. If you are going like, to do it, just go in. <laughs> and go all in, in my opinion, means yeah. give yourself time and do it right. Yeah. And then you're not going to be worried about losing strength because, yeah. you know, yeah, you're going to feel real, good still. Yes, I agree. And then if it's that's real cutting weight. So you're really trying to just lose fat, not necessarily, not necessarily cutting water or actually doing like a cut right before. Um, if right. You, in, that is probably the most important thing is get close to that weight. That's the goal. And you won't lose strength. You, I mean, unless you're, unless you're losing a massive amount. Which you shouldn't be, or you're no. cutting too much weight. You belong exactly. in another weight class. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So hope that answered that. Um, let's move on to this one. So nutrition program for people who are on a shift work and just want a basic quick meal prep. And this is from Prossy Pants. And uh, Prossy Pants, I elicited uh, one of my members. She works third shift. So she is an Auburn grad. Woo-hoo. I always like to cheer on Auburn because what is <laughs> Alabama out here? <laughs> Roll Tide. Yeah. <laughs> I just like to go against the grain. <laughs> her and her husband both went to Auburn and they're like the only people at the gym who <laughs> are Auburn fans. It's funny. Um, she works third shift and she works in a lab uh, in, at the hospital. And, um, so I asked her what she does and she, she, one of the things that is so important for her, um, is that she resets reminders when to eat because the way that she, um, the way that she sleeps and the times that she sleeps, um, she'll just forget. And we train at one of the times she eats. So actually during our training, her alarm goes off and I, I believe that's seven o'clock or eight o'clock, something like that. Her alarm will go off as she's leaving. And uh, she's like, oh, time to eat. And she that's when she usually brings her shake, uh, her creatine. And then I think she has a, something else that she eats. But for the most part, she'll go out. Um, and this is Ashley Mike is her name. I just want to put her out there. Um, she loves places like Publix. Um, she can get something really fast. She says she can't go there often. But she knows that she has go-to meals at certain places. So she knows if she can't prepare her food, that she has these go-to places. Now her preparation usually is her or her husband preparing something on the weekends or in the weekdays and she'll have it very basic and it's the same prep. She goes, even if she's not at work, she'll eat the same thing. And she goes, and she feels that that's been very helpful for her. She's not too picky with the food that she chooses. And for us, we, we do a lot of, our prepping is very simple. So we'll do the Instapot uh, with rice. We'll make something like eight cups of rice and then ground beef. There is a ton of ground beef we cook and we'll put onions and things like that in there. But between me and my husband, that'll last us three days. Now, if it was just me, that'll last me a little while. I don't like to eat the same food after four days. So that kind of grosses me out at this point. Um, I have prepared it, froze it, and then took it out. So if I freeze it and bring it out, it doesn't feel as gross. Um, and I'm able to reheat that and that feels okay. But that is so freaking fast. Preparing all my vegetables on a pan, olive oil, 500 degrees, and I, I bake that all for 20 minutes, you can have Brussels sprouts, carrots, you can have all kind of mix on there. And that will give you a good amount of food that is prepared very, very quickly. Um, but it is it does take 
time on your part to actually think about it. Like, okay, what am I okay with eating often? And there are some people that don't like to eat the same thing all the time. Yeah. And see, and there's a lot of people like that, right? But then you're going to put more time into preparing the food when, you know, it, and you can't be as, you're going to be a little more picky, then you're going to have to cook your food more often. Um, but that was her input coming from somebody who has stays on her program. And actually she's been with us one year. She did her in-body scan today and she's been with us one year. And she's like, oh my gosh, I was so skinny. She was 133 and now she's 143. And she only went up, I think, a percent body fat. Um, and so all of that was muscle, water, bone density. Uh, she was so happy and she looks great. She's got this great physique where it's like the booty and she got the thighs and, um, but she's so happy about it cause she's always been very lean. And so she's like, you know, I've been trying to gain weight and things like that. So I think that the way that she includes her program, her nutrition, nutrition program for herself has been very helpful. Um, but that was her feedback. What do you, what do you got to say? Um, it's a lot of, it's really similar, like find recipes or, or just simple things that you can make that you enjoy. Like one of my favorites is, um, I do like salsa chicken in the mm. crock pot. Yes. I do the same and one. It's either green salsa or red salsa, you know, depending yeah. on how you want it to taste and like rice, like you said, and I don't work a shift, but a lot of days I leave my house at 5am and I get home at 9pm. And Oof. so I got to have a plan of some sort and yeah. I don't take all my meals with me because I'm on the go a lot. And so I can't always like put them in a fridge or do, or heat them up or whatever. So yeah. I usually bring a couple of things with me, even if it's like a protein bar or some kind of snack. Sometimes I bring a meal depending on where I'm going. Um, and if I'm going to be able to heat it up or something like that. But I also have my go-tos, like you were saying about Ashley, like I know at this restaurant, if I ordered this, it like fits perfectly into what I need for a pre-workout meal or a post-workout meal or whatever, you know, and it's easy to get to and easy to eat. And so, I mean, just kind of knowing what your go-tos are, yep. I think, um, make sure you're getting your micronutrients in somehow. Yes. Uh, those are important. And yeah. then the other note that I had, was just to adjust the number of meals you eat based on what your schedule allows you to do. So if you can't eat while you're at work or you can only get one meal in during your shift or whatever it is, then adjust the rest of your day around that. Because at the end of the day, your overall energy intake, so the number of calories you're eating and then your macronutrient breakdown are going to be way more important for progress than like meal timing and nutrient timing and all that stuff are like, yep. those are teeny little details. Yep. yep. And if you can't hit the first part, then they don't matter. So totally, totally. Those are the big your rocks. calories are good and your macros are good, then you're going to be okay. Yeah. I think that's a big one because sometimes I think there's still part of that myth that you have to eat so many meals a day or so many small. There, I think there is some place for a large amount of time. So five to six hours between meals and what can happen to the body. But how, but the, the end goal, you know, the big rocks are that the amount of calories that you're intaking and the expenditure from that versus, all right, I need to eat this so, so many meals at this time. I think that's a great way to look at it. I would like to say that she recommended Chick-fil-A, which I do not recommend, yes. but she loves Chick-fil-A. Oh, I love Chick-fil-A. Okay, so my husband hates Chick-fil-A. Let me tell you that oh. my husband hates Chick-fil-A with a passion. And this look that you're giving me right now is a look. <laughs> it's all, it's so funny how everybody gets like offended. Like they're almost like that. You, you just might as well say you hate God. Like, like, <laughs> like everybody looks at him. He's like, Chick-fil-A is shit. Okay. So if you look at his story, he'll take pictures of Chick-fil-A and put the sad like filter on it. And it's like <laughs> the dust cup, cup falling down and da, 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 da. Um, And I have to say, I've only ate a salad. 
from Chick-fil-A. I've lived, what? I've lived here now for almost three years. I've lived in Texas where they had Chick-fil-A for a few years. And I, I just don't eat out as often. It's like I, I'll eat restaurants, but I don't eat fast food. They don't have Chick-fil-A in Hawaii, nor do they have it in California when I lived in California. So everybody's like, I can't believe you have never had their chicken nuggets and these things. And so I'm going to have to try it. But yes, this is, this is what she recommended. She loved, she's like, I have my go-tos from Chick-fil-A and it's very healthy. And so I, I'm not sure. You can go to Chick-fil-A and get grilled nuggets and a fruit cup or a side salad and a diet lemonade and have like the most perfect macronutrient friendly meal possible. <laughs> I actually have mac and cheese now, although I don't like it. So don't eat that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, like there are so many good options or they're like grilled chicken sandwich because you get the bun. So you got a little bit of carbs, but it's the grilled version and their chicken, like their regular fried nuggets are really not bad compared to like true chicken fried mm-hmm, mm-hmm. stuff, Southern fried yeah. chicken. Um, so it's really, if you have to eat fast food, like that would be one of the first places I would recommend, honestly. That's so funny. But you could actually get a good, like pretty healthy meal. Yeah. Compared to, I mean, it's not McDonald's. Like at least you know it's real chicken. Yeah. Yeah. That, that <laughs> is a good point. I, I can't speak to it, so I can't give my two cents on it, but I'm glad that you are a Chick-fil-A So if you lover. work a shift, eat at Chick-fil-A. That's yeah, what yeah. We just- <laughs> <laughs> That's what we just reinforced here. Um, so sticking on the nutrition route, uh, we have J.A. Castle 8 and J.A. I think her name is Jasmine. Um, I struggle with protein intake. I'll take a protein shake, but other options to make it easier. Now, I love, why don't you talk a little bit about your chicken um, salsa recipe? Like, how do you like to do it in the crock pot? I was just going to say go to Chick-fil-A again. But. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I take – I do um, – I make it a couple of different ways. It depends on what my needs are. So mm-hmm. if I need it to be leaner, I'll just make it with your typical like chicken breast so it's pretty lean. But if you want it to be more moist, I do chicken thighs and then I just get the bones out later. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, put it in the crock pot. Literally all you have to do is dump a jar of salsa. Yeah. And there with it. It's the best. And you know, you try out the green and the red and yeah. whatever and see which one you like the best. Yeah. But I like the green the best. Just try that one. Yeah. Um, and so you can just let it cook for six to eight hours. You shred it when it's done while it's so warm and yeah. you put it on some rice. You make rice in the rice cooker or the instant pot or however you want to do it. But yeah. it's so easy and it's so good. Yeah. Like, all of that seeps into the chicken and it marinates so well. Like it's the easiest and the tastiest chicken and rice I think you could possibly get. I agree. And you know, I'm going to like nowhere. Yeah. And so the one up to that, and I saw this on Pinterest with that <laughs> when you're done with, so I do the um, breasts, I do the salsa. I'll also sometimes do taco seasoning packets if I want really that kind of cumin yeah. flavor. But, you know, it it depends on if you guys like that kind of stuff. It does have MSG, which I love. (laughs) Um, But if you don't, you don't have to put that in there. But when it's done, while it's still a little warm, if you take a hand blender, you know, like the ones you make. Oh. Stick that mofo in there. Oh, my gosh. And while it's still soft, it shreds it all up. It is so fast. Yes. So fast. So I'm sure that's even. It's like. 10 seconds, all shredded up because it's nice and soft. And then from there, you can actually portion it. So you you could even make just regular mm-hmm. tacos. I mean, there's so many things that you can do that make it faster. Um, I would say that uh, a lot of my go-tos are, if I'm in a bind, I'll, I'll do beef jerky. Um, I'll do shakes, of course. Um, I'll even double up my shakes. So if you're just having a single um, serving, have a double. 
Um, what were you gonna or say? make your protein shake with milk. Yes, there we go. That's a way you can That's maximize your shake. Yeah, exactly. Um, you really just have to think of how are some better ways. You should ideally be eating protein at each meal. That would be a great way of doing it. So breakfast would have it, lunch would have it, dinner would have it at least. And you that would be enough to hit all those areas. And if you had some sort of shake in between, I can't see if you're hitting an average of 20 to 25, um, that should be more than enough unless your you know, lean body mass is really, really high. Um, I found that if you're able to do that consistently, you'll have change. I was say, make sure you know what your protein goal is, which is basically what you just said. Yes. Um, so know what that is. Don't just be like shooting for this arbitrary number for no good reason. But if you separate out your pre and post workout meals, like out of your daily total first. So like, let's say you want to shoot for between 25 and 50, depending on how much you weigh and all this stuff, um, grams of protein before your workout and after your workout. So that's up to a hundred grams of protein, depending right on who you are mm -hmm. right there. It's a minimum, it's about 50, um, which is still a lot. Yeah. And then however many more meals you're going to eat during the day, you divide the rest of your protein up as evenly as you can throughout yep. those. And as long as you do that, you're going to always, you know, you're going to be pretty close at the end of the day. You're not going to be like, crap, it's dinner time and I still need to get 125 grams of protein. How the right. heck am I going to do that? Yeah. Um, another thing I was going to say is if you choose carb sources that also have protein, like bagels and pasta and a lot of breads. Um, a lot of those have at least a small amount of protein in them. You're going to chip away at that goal a little bit faster. Yeah. You kind of like kill two birds with one stone. Totally. Totally. If you're going to have beans, like that's my way of doing it. Yep, I'll have a little cheese. good one. I have, I cook my little Spanish bean aroonies, which are not necessarily the best for the tummy, but <laughs> it's great for the rest of me. But yeah, that's another thing with getting old. Now I'm like, oh, so now my stomach wants to be a little bitch with legumes. Um, so, but I love, I'm Spanish. We eat a lot of beans, but that is some great ways to get more protein in there. Um, based on DNA genetic testing, my body best performs as endurance 80% versus power 20%. But I love to powerlift. How would you approach a client for muscle growth and powerlifting strength with this factor? And this is from Courtney Bolath, Courtney for Life. Christina, why don't you start us off with this one? I feel like I need to give my like two cents on genetic testing first. Yes, um, yes. This is a, very important. It's a want, not a need, like most of supplements are. Yeah. Um, so like most of the commercial commercial commercially available genetic tests don't actually tell you that much. Um, just because of the way phenotypes are expressed. There's like um phenotype is like how your genes code to express themselves on your body or, or within your body. So like you can get multiple things that lead to one thing, like what color your hair is, but it right. might be more than one gene that gets you there. So, um, there's over 22 of those that relate to strength and power phenotypes and how that's expressed in your body. Most of the consumer tests don't test enough of those genes to give you the, like a real picture of what your capacity for strength and hypertrophy even is. Yeah. So you definitely don't need that information, like just because, but if you're like super curious about it and you've got extra money to blow and you want to know, then like go for it. It's okay. But, yes, I do. Um, and then that's it. It's like part of it. Just know that it might not be very accurate. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this is one of those cases where like what, you know, don't hurt you or can't hurt you 
Um, but that's like really true because a good coach is going to figure out how you respond to certain things with your training and nutrition, no matter what, whether you have results of a genetic test or not, um, they're going to look at the data and figure it out versus if you have that information, it can potentially hurt your performance because now you have these like preconceived limitations about yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so you might go into powerlifting training thinking you're better at endurance exercise, like you're mentally limiting yourself, even if it's subconscious and you don't know that you're doing it. So, I mean, like, yeah, you might need to adjust certain aspects of your training to get the best results, but like, so does everyone else. Yeah. We yeah. all have certain things, you know, that yep. we're going to be good at or not good at. And we have to adjust and, and program around those. Um, and, and like I said before, a good coach is going to be tracking metrics. Like they're going to be constantly adjusting your program in a way that gets you the best training adaptations possible. So having your brain like on the right page with that is going to help you. Um, if you don't think it's possible for you to ever be good at what you're doing because of your genetics and like, you're not going to put in the same effort. Yes. The mindset um, is a huge one in this. And I yeah. think that's the detriment for these things because they're not accurate. Right. And, and even, right. even power, power is not power lifting. Power mm -hmm. is explosiveness. I, yeah. I believe as what they're relating to. Right. So I'm thinking that something like type one fibers versus type two. That's where I was going next. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and even within there, there's type one that is more leaning towards endurance. And then there's some that they can actually change towards uh, type two. I mean, there's so much more in those areas that we don't really understand how it, we know that certain things can happen. Um, but yes, go ahead on to your type one and type two. Well, as I say, so we all have, we're all born with a certain distribution of type one and type two fibers in our body. And it's going to vary depending on your genetics and everything else, but training for strength or explosiveness, um, they both train those fast switch fibers. So we've got plenty of research now that shows us that you can transition from slow to fast with anaerobic type training. And that's your strength training and your, your explosive stuff. And, you know, just any of that short term training, whether you are powerlifting or you're weightlifting, you're do sprinting or whatever. Yep. Um, so one of the adaptations that every human has to anaerobic training modalities is becoming better at anaerobic training in part by fiber type plasticity. So your fibers ability to change to the other type. So, I mean, that's like the really simplified version of it yes. without going way deep into it. But if you're interested in it, if that's something, if you're listening and you want like, I want to know more, I can, um, give you resources to learn more about it. But I wouldn't approach a client's program any differently because of their genetic results, because what I always do, um, for everyone is going to be start with the evidence-based programming guidelines and then use their training and nutrition data to continue to tweak their programming for them yeah. to keep the progress going. So, right. I mean, you're going to find stuff that you're not good at stuff that's going to come easier to you or harder to you, but that's true for every single person. So you might need to do more of the stuff that you're not good at to get better at it. Yeah. I mean, but as long as you are consistently and intelligently training, you're going to continue to improve. Um, I say there's actually studies that have been done that found that knowing your genetic testing results or them telling you something, it wasn't really their results. Um, like it can limit the amount of effort you put into your training. And then there's some other studies where they looked at elite athletes, um, sprinters in this case, 
50% of the elite sprinters that they tested were genetically predisposed to having more fast twitch fibers and like being that power type athlete, mm -hmm. but that was only 50% of them. Yeah. The other 50% weren't, and they obviously were still able to reach that elite status right. and they probably never knew which one they had. So yes, yes. Yeah. I think that's great. So don't approach it different. Just watch your body train and how you think you are having good effect and, and try to yep. not be swayed by these things. I, I think there's a lot of things out there, even like blood type diet, you know, where we try to look at things that, um, I think it has good intentions, but blood type diet takes no account of anything else. <laughs> you know, it's just your blood right. type, which is kind of ridiculous a when you think type. about that. <laughs> yes, it's exactly. So, um, all right, let's move on. Two best things to focus on when not in prep and gaining muscle mass, nutrition, and training. And this is from Sydney Ann. Sydney Ann with periods in between those. Um, so this question is a little general. Um, so I think that we're going to try to answer it what we think you're trying to say here. So best things to focus on when not in prep and gaining muscle mass. So um, most programs... It kind of depends, of course, where you are at. I feel like I need to make that shirt where it says it depends um, because uh, <laughs> I want one. yes, it, right. Because I feel like that's the answer for everything. It, it depends. I'm going to coin it. Um, I'm going to assume that you're not in prep and maybe you're fairly new. Maybe you're two years in one to two years in um, there, depending on your program you could have different phases of that program. So you could have a couple training cycles where you're working on hypertrophy, right? So we're trying to gain muscle. Um, nutrition and training, you would want to focus on maybe a slight surplus. Um, and so this is not to say that you should be eating like 500 calories more. My rule of thumb is anywhere from 250 to 300. So you would need to know kind of a baseline of where your nutrition is at first. Um, and that might take you just being more aware, writing down. Um, I, I don't do mine anymore. I used to, used to be very strict on it and know exactly where I was at. And then it's a better idea. You have a better understanding of where you're going to add those things in. And the things that you would try to include, uh, of course, is more protein and probably carbs. Um, you might want to keep those around your, uh, around your training. Um, carbohydrates around your training just shows to be a little bit more effective on, um, holding the muscle that you have and stopping any kind of breakdown of muscle. Um, training wise, I guess that depends if you're following a program. That, so the way I do it, I still have people work in bars. So they're still doing straight bar work here and there, but you can have less of that. So let's say you're kind of beat up from doing straight bar. Um, a lot of times when you're in prep, you are using the things that you're going to be using in the meet. So that means I'm going to do back squats. I'm going to do straight bar benching. I'm going to do deadlift with a deadlift bar. When you're not, you do have some room to have other variables. So safety squat bar, maybe you're doing um, different types of bars for benching because we can give your shoulders a rest or your wrists a rest. Um, so there is, in my opinion, areas where you can do stuff like that. I mean, you can even have just a whole bodybuilding area. So you lay off of it completely. Um, maybe you have some bar work here and there. I, I, I personally would not completely stray away from powerlifting. So you are going to keep your lifts in there because especially if you're new, you want to reinforce that. But like for me, I went, I think I did, gosh, the last, let's see, five months ago, I did um, very little bar work. So I was pulling here and there. I mean, I was doing some, I was doing the main movements in there, 
they were submaximal. I had some heavier here and there, but it was a lot of building. So I did a lot of hypertrophy work. It was great. I felt good. I feel like I put some muscle on. Um, so there definitely is some things uh, that you can do. Generally speaking, I think if you're looking to gain muscle, you will have to increase your calories a bit, and it's not a ton. Uh, but the training can vary. So it just kind of depends. If you're training yourself, those are some things that I would probably enforce. But if you have somebody who's training you, that's different. You know, So they're going to work a program for you that's your off-season program. Um, what would you like to say, Christina? Um, see, like you said, kind of a general answer. Cause I don't know exactly the goals or the situation for the person that's asking this question, but like you said, make sure you're in a caloric surplus or at the very least you're actually at maintenance, not in a deficit. Yes. I mean, it's conflicting goals. Yes. You can technically gain muscle while you're in a deficit. It's really hard. You can't do it when you're, you are very highly unlikely to do so. Most Drug of the free. time. Okay. Yes. Like <laughs> eat enough. Yes. Okay. Step yeah. one. Yeah. Step one to gain any muscle. Um, and then like you said, make sure that you're getting enough protein, you're getting enough carbs in to support muscle growth because those numbers are different than what you need just to maintain muscle. You know, a little more protein, um, a little more carbs, focus it around your training if you can, but spread it out throughout the day because as you are attempting to keep that muscle protein simple, Muscle protein, oh my gosh, synthesis, NPS, we're <laughs> just going to go with the abbreviation here, NPS, <laughs> um, stimulated, you're going to want to make sure that you're not falling into these negative protein balances during the day. And that's, that's again, that's one of those tiny, tiny details, just focus on getting enough protein and spreading it out. Yeah. Um, and if you want to get really nitpicky, you can start looking at the time windows between, you know, when your protein balance is going to fall negative and all that stuff, but make sure you're getting enough, first of all. Um, and I was going to say with training, it's kind of what you said too, but make sure it's a combination of strength work. So it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly your competition um, variations, but something that resembles it. That's the same movement pattern, at least um, kind of in the higher end of the strength rep ranges. So kind of in your four to six range, keep some stuff in that range and you might even do a single and then back down work. That's what I tend to do, but like I've been lifting a lot longer now. Um, I haven't always done it that way. And then make sure that you're doing a lot of work in the hypertrophy ranges. So you're six to 15, um, you're going to need less reps per set on your SBD work and more reps per set for your smaller compound movements and your single joint and your isolation work. So if you've got hard to fatigue areas and you're a smaller human, you might even go up to like sets of 20 yeah. for, you know, lateral races or something that's yep. really small like that. Yep. Um, you got to make sure you're getting enough frequency for yep. each body part and muscle group. So two to three times a week, make sure you're hitting everything, not necessarily the same movements, but you're hitting each major muscle group two to three times per week. Yep. Um, you're getting enough volume because volume ultimately is going to be the key to driving those adaptations and changes. And the best way to get it is to divide your work up. So you do it multiple times a week. So yeah. that's where the frequency comes in. Um, I say make sure that you're getting SBD work in in some format. Like I said, it doesn't have to be exactly your competition lifts, but something in those movement patterns. But make sure in those phases you really include a lot of general work. So get out of the sagittal plane of motion. Yep. Um, move in the other planes of motion. Do some things with rotation. Do some lateral work. Do 
other stuff that makes you a better human. Human. That's it. It's gonna make you. It's gonna make you more resilient to injury. Yes. You know when and more resistant to injury and everything when you are back in those specific phases. So yes. the more of that you do in your general, in your bodybuilding, in your your off season, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Um, the better. Yeah. But, yeah. I think that's great. Um. So as we're still on nutrition, meat prep. I'm motivated and solid with nutrition. No meat, too many treats, balance. How? <laughs> like I should put this is because it's in the little Q&A box. So she's probably like, I can only fit so many letters in there. Um, and this yeah. is uh, my homie reshape with ape. Um, and this is an interesting one because I feel like I struggled with, with this a lot. Um, and over the years, I think I've trained, changed the way I looked at this, especially after incorporating precision nutrition. Um, and precision nutrition is a nutrition program that I, I am part of. Um, but what it does is it talks about your habits. And so it takes a look at the habits that you developed over the years that may not be so good. So during a time of crunch, right, when I was meat prepping for a show, I could buckle down because there was an end goal that I didn't want to look fat on stage, right? It's like, I don't want to be deconditioned on stage because that was my thing. I had the muscle, it's just the conditioning. So I'm, I, that's my goal. I, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed. My motivation was fear of looking bad. But once you take that motivation out, meh, I could have treats, I could have sweets, I could have all those kind of things. So then I, I had to learn where my difficulties were and why I thought it was okay. Why do I keep reaching these? So I like what Precision Nutrition has done and they've taken small steps in order for you to change your habits. And through that process, I've noticed that I still had a lot of bad habits that kept me going with my, uh, with my mentality, my mindset. So now after going through this program, I put the fork down in between eating, never did that. I never used to put, the, I would just keep eating, right? Never gave myself time to actually think about what I was eating. I just ate it. I, I guess this is, is one of those things you need to address. I personally feel the one way of going about this is addressing your underlying habits because um, once we can address that, all the other factors and things that now become, I hate to use the word, but triggers. Uh, that will cause you to want to eat something or not have self-control. Um, these are all ingrained, you know, and I, some of the, almost all my members are on Precision Nutrition's program. And one of the things that I love about it is that um, I'll hear stories of people saying like, you know, I was so used to finishing everything on my plate because I came from a family where you finish everything on your plate. You don't leave anything behind. And they served you, so I had no choice. And so even though I was full, in my mind, I was like, I had to eat that. So these are the kind of thoughts and mindset things that needed to be changed. And I like that Precision Nutrition addresses them in those ways. And for me, that's what's been helpful. Um, and it might not be the answer you're looking for. Um, but I found that now that I've been able to not obsess about that, and it was obsessive for me, especially when I came into bodybuilding, if I felt the obsessiveness a bit, um, that now I have way less issues. I never am like, oh, I really want to eat that. I mean, I rarely have those moments. Um, 
maybe with beer at Mellow Mushroom, that would be the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that would be something that uh, would be my recommendation. What about you? I was going to say, a lot of times when I see this, kind of like what you said, it's it comes from a scarcity mindset that you can't have anything you like when you're getting ready for a competition instead of kind of a, adopting a stance where you just eat things in moderation and yes. keep in things that you do enjoy. Like you should like what you're eating. Yes. You shouldn't be miserable. Yeah. Um, say, I'm paraphrasing from Alberto Nunez. I don't remember exactly the quote because it was on a podcast, but he said something like in most sports practice ends when practice ends, but in strength sports, like bodybuilding, powerlifting, like practice is the sport. Um, so even if you don't have like an immediate competition goal, you're still practicing your sport, which means your nutrition still matters. So you've yeah. got to practice those good habits. Um, and I do think that you can have ebbs and flows where like you're more or less strict with your nutrition based on what your current goals are, but they should be planned. Um, like if you're not in meat prep, maybe you can go to 80% whole foods, 20%, you know, fun foods. Right. Or you just track loosely instead of tracking really strictly right. or, um, you know, you're just more relaxed. You eat maybe more intuitively in general, but it shouldn't be like just unplanned. I don't have a plan at all here, so I'm going to go crazy and do whatever I want. Yeah. Um, like you should have just like you have phases of your training program. You know, you've got phases where your nutrition needs to be really, really good. Yeah. But should still be things you like. Um, I think that's a big you one. Can, you can like relax a little bit. Yeah. You know, you've got room for treats. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I you think should. that's important you that you're talking about that, that you exactly, maybe it is looking at what you're doing in order to be a meat prep, right? Is that, it sounds like it's probably pretty strict, um, which you can have some room in there and maybe that's what it mm -hmm. is. You have more flexibility. I mean, that's the whole concept of flexible dieting. Um, and that you're not, you're not, you're still quenching the thirst of, of, whatever it is you really want to have, um, but you're staying within your macros. So that might be an avenue you want to try. Um, and I did, I mean, I flexible dieted through almost all my shows, um, almost all of them until the very end. And that's when I felt the most burnt out when I was eating asparagus and fucking chicken and tilapia and all that bullshit for months straight. That's when I was like, I'm done because I didn't mentally, I could not push forward with the nutrition. It was so hard for me. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, anything that's sustainable is always going to be the better option. Like yes. what you can do for a long time will always be the better choice. So if you have, if you feel like you've got to do something that like, you know, you can't maintain, yep. it's probably not your best option. Right. Like you probably need to look for something else. So, yep. Um, let's move on to, I like this one for you because he said, oh, I know this one. Tips for removing slack before starting a deadlift with long limbs, Miss Lanky Lifter, <laughs> and that's Elisa. Um, yes, this is a good one. Um, I, and this is not long limbed person here, I personally do the same. I would think, I mean, I cue people to do the same thing, whether they have long limbs or not. Um, there, there's going to be some differences, differences I see in people that might tell me to do one cue over another. Um, but what do you say for you? Um, since you said pulling slack out, um, first step one is make sure you're really good at bracing. Like you actually know how to brace 
before we even get to this part. Yeah. If you can't do that, that's step one, get that part. Um, and that you know what your starting position is supposed to be. It's going to be different if you're conventional, you're sumo, whatever. And make sure you know what your starting position is supposed to be, not like what the you really see. short person's starting position looks like. Because yes. it's not going to be the same. Yeah. Um, you've got different leverages. You've got to know how to use them for you. So once you've got those two things down, then you can really focus on like pulling slack out of the bar and say, you want to create as much tension as you can in, in your upper body. So in your arms and all that, and in your core yeah. before you even try and set your hips, um, into position. So I think you want to be pulling on the bar really hard with your arms and you're already braced really hard. So you've already taken that deep breath. You're trying to make sure you've got your lats locked in all that good stuff. And then you're going to wedge your hips in towards the bar. And that works whether you're sumo or conventional, like you're still going to kind of use that same technique to pull the slack out of the bar. Yep. And what I always tell people is you should be pulling so hard with your arms and, and, and your core, you know, braced before you drop your hips in yep. that it only takes a tiny bit more effort to get the bar off the ground. That's right. And you'll know if you did it right, cause it's going to pop off the floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not when it's literally a hundred percent of your max, but it's still, you're going to know because it's going to break the floor and you're going to be like, Oh, that's what it's supposed to feel like. Yep. Yep. That's it. That's great. And I think that's a big one is, um, when you do see somebody or hear somebody where they got that clank, where the it's not taken out, a lot of times I find that people are not bringing the lats back. And so a cue I like to use is protect your armpits. So if you're mm-hmm. lining up for that bar, you're braced, you got your breath, legs maybe are straight, and you're pulling on that bar, you're protecting the armpits, right? So we're f- almost flexing the triceps, and then you're bringing yourself into there. I find that sometimes just doing that helps to pull and pull that bar a little bit better. Um, so I, I, I think that's perfect. A perfect. It's kind of hard to describe <laughs> on a podcast. It's yes. more something that needs to be shown. Um, but if you aren't doing any of those things, try to incorporate that and see if that helps. I was going to say, you're, if you've got longer limbs, you're almost always, regardless of which way you choose to pull, you're going to start more horizontally. Your torso will be more horizontal because of what your leverages are. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the cues that you hear for other people, they're literally not going to make sense to you because you're going to be like, I can't see that. Even if I tried, I'm looking at the floor, you know, so you got to take what you hear with a grain of salt and go, does this apply to me? Yes. Um, and then work from there. So I think sometimes the one that you gave, I think it's a good cue, but I have found that some of my taller people have a harder time with it because Interesting. they're like horizontal. So they're like, protect my what? Yeah. Like, you know, they're just not in the same position. And so you kind of, as a coach, you have to find ways to get the same point across in a different way because people are going to be in different positions relative to their limbs. And so coaching tip. There you go. Yeah, um, that's, that's exactly right. It might right. be the same concept, but you've got to get it across to that person in a way that makes sense to them. So. Yep, exactly. And different cues work for different people, right? Different ways they're mm-hmm. going to interpret it. Very good. All right. So moving on to uh, best hand grip position for squatting with wrist issues. Also, maybe some general info on wrist health, and that's Taste of Ink. I think last time I said Taste I mean, I just couldn't get that right <laughs> again with my trying to read out people's handles. Um, best grip position. So what what would you recommend as an ideal gri- position for somebody who might have some wrist problems? That's one of those that's really hard to answer without 
knowing what the person's squats look like and all that stuff. So I don't have enough context to give like a a specific answer, but I can tell you, um, there is an elite power lifter and she's a physical therapist that is a friend of mine actually and a coach. And she is, her name is Rory Alter. We can, I guess, put her info in the show notes, but she has really good resources actually that she's been posting all this week. Um, about wrist position and squats and what to do if you have pain. Oh, nice. So she might have like the exact thing that you need on there. And if she doesn't, like I said, she's a physical therapist. She's your person to talk to. Yeah. Um, and you can send her videos and, and, you know, work out the details of all that. But in general, the more neutral you can keep your wrist, the more you can stack different joints under the bar is going to be better. Um, in order to achieve that, you might have to do a couple of things. You might have to work on your shoulder mobility that can limit where you can get your arms. Um, you might have to change your grip on the bar. You might have to go wider or more narrow or whatever works for you, or you might just have the bar in the wrong place. Like if you have it way too far down your back, it's going to be almost impossible to fix that no matter what you do. So, yeah. um, I'd say make sure that the bar placement is right. Make sure that you've adjusted your hand placement to see if you can fix it by doing that try working on your shoulder mobility. Um, make sure the weight of the bar is not rolling back into your hands. Mm-hmm. Like you should never feel like you're holding the bar on your back during a squat. So if you do feel like that, that's probably the root of your issue. Yeah. Um, and that would look like your wrist is bent pretty much. Right. That, and so if you're right. taking videos of yourself, you'll see that your wrist, you, when she's talking about being stacked, that means we want that wrist underneath the elbow we trying to trying to have that stacked position where there's no break at the wrist so if you have a you might have a slight and that might even just be too much for you is normal yes but but when you start having it where it's kind of hanging off the little fingertips there that's a problem like the bars in your fingers yes Yes. (laughs) um i say try not to just put a band-aid on it and i mean not literally a band-aid but like don't just put wrist wraps on to squat and like not actually change anything to try and address like the root of the issue i see people do that all the time and Mm -hmm. You can totally wear wrist wraps while you squat. That's not a bad thing, but like you shouldn't need them to not have wrist pain. Yeah. That should just be more of a stability thing. Yeah. And um, as far as just general wrist health tips, I'd say train them like you train everything else. Um, kettlebells and dumbbells are probably like my my favorite ways to work on it for people who lift weights because they can move a little bit more than the bar can. And so you have to stabilize. Um dumbbell pressing and that kind of stuff is kind of the obvious stuff, but do things like bottoms up carries with a kettlebell. Um, like that's really good for wrist strength and stability. Um, and if you've really got like an injury or like real pain, then talk to a PT, a physical therapist. Yeah. I think that's probably a a good one too. I mean, you're going to try to do things on your own, but wrists are one of those funny things. Um, I have a lot of forearm pain. Um, and now I'm going to consider it chronic because it's been over a year now. And I've come to the conclusion that a lot of it has to do with being on a computer. Um, so I actually got, and you guys can't see this, but I got this nifty sort of <laughs> uh, futuristic looking mouse, which is an ergonomic like ship. Yeah, so it's ergonomic. And the way you hold it is like this. So it's straight on. So your hand is not rotated. It's not pronated. Um, and so I think that is causing a little bit more pain. And actually, the, the pain that I have is on what you would think, uh, my gripping muscles. I, in the beginning, I thought it was like tendonitis elbow and then it went to golfers. So it just, it's just the whole thing is all weird. And I've, Julia approached, um, one of her PTs, um, and she has the same pain. And they said, a lot of times we find that people who are into weight training don't have good working, um, 
the muscles that are the flexors do not work individually very well. So because we're doing a lot of gripping and things like this, we don't get enough um, work on the extensors. So that's another thing. So anyways, just there's some things that you just wouldn't have known. That's where I'm going with this. I wouldn't have, I could think, well, maybe that might be it. Um, but, you you know, seeing somebody for that is very important because if, let's say it's not developed from training, like mine, I'm almost positive it's developed outside of training. I really don't train that much. I mean, I train four days a week, but I don't do enough where it should be that problematic. Um, and when I laid off of my major lifts, it was still there, which told me that what I'm doing which is probably up to six or seven hours a day sometimes um, is the real root of the problem. So um, I guess if you're not able to work on it with some of these cues here, definitely see somebody, see somebody professional um, because that you don't want that to hinder you for sure. I do think Rory um, actually does online physical therapy. Oh, cool. Like, like an assessment. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so if you can't, like if there's not somebody good in your area, I do think she can actually help online. Oh, I that's don't know fantastic. Exactly how that works, but well, we'll definitely, I'll definitely add her, uh, her handle in the show notes. So we have at least a contact. So if anybody is interested besides taste of ink, um, you know, you can reach out to her and follow her page and I'm sure she'll give some feedback if there's something along those lines. She puts great information no matter what. So definitely follow her. <laughs> I, I think I do follow her. I think we were talking about her last time, right? I told you to put her on the podcast. Yes, yes. yes. Let's finish off with this one. So how many, this is three questions. I probably should have separated this one, but how many times a week do you train? Um, Is your nutrition different when you're on your period? And do you do anything different regarding training or habits when you're on your period? So first of all, how many times a week do you train? I train four times a week. How about you? I trained five right now. I have trained six. Um, and I have, I don't think I've ever trained four actually. I think I've always been five or six. Okay. Five for the last couple of years though. Yeah. I definitely trained four. I used to train three. Um, four is actually like, if I could train three, I'd rather train three. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, and it's just, I got so much going on, uh, that it, it is harder for me to, even stay focused within my workouts. That's part of the problem. You know, so my goal is to really maximize my training where, you know, my work capacity needs to be better. So I need to maximize my training better because I'll take it too, too sticking long sometimes. Um, so yes. So she trains five to six. So do you prefer five or do you prefer six? Hmm. Um, it was split up differently when I had six. So it's hard to say. I think I'm busier now than I was when I had six. So getting two days off and the two days that I currently have off are Monday and Friday. So Monday is my busiest work day. So that's a perfect day to be a rest day. And then Friday is the only day I get off of like my structured scheduling for work, um, Mm. early. So that being a rest day is nice too. So like right now I don't, I wouldn't go back to six just because I like my rest days, but that's just me. Yeah, no, I agree. I guess five. Yeah. And, and you don't necessarily need more to have changes. Let's put that out there. You know, like it, it all just depends on what people prefer. There is some validity to frequency though. So meaning Mm -hmm. that you should be training every so often and people who've been training longer actually have to train more often than people who've been training less. I bench four times a week out of five, five days. (laughs) But my bench is getting stronger, so it's working. (laughs) Fuck that. I could not be benching four times a week. (laughs) 
I occasionally will do a pressing motion three times a week, um, you know, because I have my standard two, and then there might be an extra thing in there. But yeah, oh my gosh, I couldn't. <laughs> More power to you. Um, is your nutrition different when you're on your period? Mine is not. Um, and when we get to the next part, I'll explain, I guess, kind of when it might be different. But for me personally, we've talked about this before. My yeah. periods are typically not very severe, if yeah. if that's even a word. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have like a few cravings. I might get a little bloaty at the beginning, but like I don't have anything crazy. So I don't need to change anything to yeah. feel okay. Yeah. I just got to get through that first like day or two that feels terrible and I'm good. Yeah. I don't, I don't purposely change anything. I will instinctually reach for chocolate. Um, and I, I don't really change much. I do find that I want to drink more water and things like that. Um, but no, I don't necessarily change my food intake for my period. Um, and do you do anything different regarding training or habits when you're on your period? Let's just try and say, I, I personally do not. However, um, if you struggle with that stuff, it, you're probably going to be kind of uncomfortable. Like you're going to feel gross, but your recovery and your strength are actually better during your cycle. So if you can get over feeling gross, like your training should go really well. Like the first day of your period through when you ovulate is called the follicular phase. Um, and that's like, that's the best time to train really hard. Like you should feel stronger. You're going to have better work capacity. You have increased pain tolerance. You have um, increased force generation capacity and increased endurance. So back at the beginning when we said I like that, I know. So back at the beginning when we said, oh, you're on your period for your meat. It's not a bad thing if you can get over the fact that you're on your period for weigh-in. feeling, like, yes. Yeah, like you actually should have a pretty dang good meat. So um, the, you're better at using muscle glycogen during that phase, and your insulin sensitivity is higher. I have heard that. So that's a good time if you are going to do a refeed or a higher carb phase and stuff like that, and which is convenient for cravings. Yeah. Um, like that's a good time to do it because you're more likely to use it well. And yeah. then, you know, once – once your period actually starts, you should start to feel a little bit better. Um, the bloating and the water retention and all that start stuff start to go back to normal. Yeah. Um, and I would say this is a tip that Matt taught me actually. Um, if you crave sweets on your period, typically it usually means you're going to need more electrolytes during your period. Interesting. Um, and if you tend to crave savory stuff, then you usually need more carbs, more glucose mm. during that, that particular time. So tip from Matt. Um, I like that. There's a difference. Yeah. I like how but also you the can man tells us because you'll use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. There's a time to do it. This is the time. Yes, um, that's the time. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. So like mine uh, is, it's just crazy and I hate it. I hate that, uh, you know, and I've definitely come to the point where um, m not every period, but almost every period, I will have such a rush of exhaustion and almost like I'm sick. Like I just got the flu. Like it's, it's so weird. It'll come. And I, I am almost like, I feel like I'm on drugs. Like it's the worst feeling. And then it goes away. If That's I usually like the beginning, right? Yes. Right and this is yeah, exactly like literally yeah. right before. Um, and when that does happen, if I'm supposed to train, I won't because I just 
I feel my head, everything is not into it. And that's occasional because my training can always move to the next day, you know, and I can maximize my training better because I know that within 18 hours, I'm probably going to feel fine. Like I might have cramping and things like that, but it normally it goes away. So for me, that's probably the, the, the biggest thing I'll train as I mean, I'll change for my training is like, I'm being more flexible with it. And I still, I like to hammer it out when I'm in the gym. I don't, I like to give it my all. And uh, if I am feeling like that, it's very hard for me mentally to kind of push forward. I don't like taking aspirin when I'm training or ibuprofen or anything like that because you do actually want sort of that response, uh, that inflammation response. And if you are taking any kind of Motrin or anything like that, can limit that. I mean, you got to weigh the options too. Like, all right, do I have to work out? If I have to work out and I really feel like shit, then I will do that because that will help to push me forward. But I think that's the one thing for me. And it just, if I didn't have that feeling, I don't think that I would change it because this is something that's new for me. It hasn't always been like this. I would say the last six years, I've been having more of those symptoms. Whereas prior to that, I didn't. So I'd go to the gym and I'd feel, you know, like a little, eh, but not anything that would stop me. Whereas now it's like, okay, this is like, even I tell my husband, I'm like, I, I have to lay down for a little bit. And he's, he just knows. Um, so I guess it's different for everybody, you know, as far as what you recommend. And just, it's really about listening to your body um, and being okay if you have to. Like, I had to kind of like be like, okay, I got to be okay with that. I'm not going to go to the gym. You know, it's like, cause you get kind of like, no, I'm fucking tough. <laughs> I'll tough it out. But then I really couldn't. <laughs> like, it was like, this sucks. <laughs> I was going to say, um, if you want to learn more about the different phases of your um, cycle and like what you can and should do for different ones or what you might feel, Lyle McDonald, I think, has an entire book on it. So he's a good resource, but also um, just like a simple Instagram short version, Joelle Samantha has a really good post on training during your period and all the different phases throughout the month and, you know, how you might feel during different phases. Did she, how... Was she the one that wrote an article um, about it? Uh, there's there's a few out there, um, but I thought it was Girls Who Powerlift that, that had somebody was featured who wrote an she article. She could have written it for that. I don't uh, know. I'm but... going to find it, and if I do find it, I'll put it in the show notes. So from Kristen, who is from my gym, protein, collagen, vitamins, BCAAs, how do I start? How do I know what I need? Why don't you start us off? You don't need anything. Um, <laughs> I mean, no supplements are required. That's why they're supplements. By any means. Yes. So, you know, work on your, your basic nutrition habits before you worry about supplements. But when you get to the point when you are ready to start looking into it, um, I like to think of them as like ranked, you know, like that's a good way if of looking at it. If you're going to buy something, start here. If you've got room in your budget, try this one. Yeah. Um, so first, she mentioned protein. So I'm saying make sure you're getting adequate protein intake. You don't necessarily have to supplement it um, as long as you're doing that. But if you feel like you need a protein supplement to hit your goals, um, you want either an isolate or a hydrolyzed whey protein is going to be your best option. If you're plant-based, um, look into some of the other you're either going to want a mixed or you're going to want soy. Um, that gets complicated because to make a complete protein, you got to get different sources. Um, so do your research on that if that's what you're going to go with. Yeah. But I'd say, I wouldn't say you need a protein supplement. You need to make sure you're getting all your protein. If you want a supplement and you like the way they taste, whatever, get one. First thing is going to be creatine, which was not on her list. Yes. I was going to talk about one. that. Yep. Um, 
that's your best. That's the best bang for your buck. It's and not why? Expensive. Why is it the best? Exactly. Why is it? Why is it the best? <laughs> it's not expensive. It's yeah. got the most research behind it. It's not dangerous. You know, it's the safest. It's the one that's most proven to get results. As long as you use it consistently, like you're supposed to. Like, there's no reason not to use creatine. Yeah. Um, I rank a multivitamin right behind that. You don't necessarily need a multivitamin if you're getting enough micros, but if you know you've got holes in your diet, um, you know, you just want like an insurance policy is how I explain it. That's a good way of saying it. (laughs) You know, like it's not going to hurt you to take it. Yeah. Um, so a multivitamin is a good one. Just make sure you're buying a high quality one. There's a lot of good options out there. Um, and then of the other things she listed, I rank collagen and BCAAs together. Um, they're definitely not a necessity. Um, I wouldn't make them a high priority, but like I said, if you've got the other stuff checked off and you've got room in your budget and you want to do some more, um, they both might help you. Um, they're safe. You know, you're not taking something dangerous. They've been researched enough that their effectiveness is kind of wishy-washy, but they're not causing any harm. So you might try them and feel like they really help you. Somebody else might try them out and be like, eh, this wasn't worth my money. Yeah. So, I mean, that one you'll just have to kind of try and see for yourself. Yeah, I think that it, you're spot on. With it. And I actually uh, take um, my protein is a beef collagen protein. Yep. Um, and it's very bougie. Like, it's very expensive. <laughs> and <laughs> the only reason why we have it is because Devin's, you know, getting his doctorate. So he gets a good price for certain things. Um, but the beef collagen protein over other things, because it'll have a little bit more of the EAAs that sometimes mm-hmm. the collagen does not have. So not necessarily yep. BCAs, but essential amino acids that sometimes yeah. you don't get, um, which is another thing that could be on there. And I, I do like what you said. So for years, BCAs, branch chain amino acids, and if you guys know what this is, it's something you put in your drink, you can mix it with water, you'll see people drink it throughout their workouts. The this It, it would go up and down like, yes, you need it. It's great for protein synthesis, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, no, it's bullshit. They're just trying to take your money. Uh, I feel like we get this a lot throughout the years of fitness. It's like one way and then another way, then research says something and C says another thing, but you're right. It doesn't hurt you. Um, And I do find, and you know, Dev and I, we were talking about this the other day because we stopped carrying BCAs because we're like, you know what? I think it's just kind of a waste, but our members who are older, who don't eat enough, one, mm-hmm. if right? you don't get enough protein, right, it's going to be helpful. Help. The, the leucine, the things that are found, especially EAAs, if you're not yeah. eating enough food, um, so if you're not just eating the nutrition, there is a place, there is a validity for some of that. And so we found that we do have, we have a lot of women who are 50 and over and they just don't eat enough. Like they're not hungry all the time. So even having an adequate protein amount is like, it's like, to, what? I have to eat 100 grams? Are you kidding me? Like 80 would be a stretch. So like asking yeah. them for, to do more is difficult. And there is a place for them in that in that area. Um, but I think what you said as far as ranking it are, it's very spot on. And, and for me personally, I do the protein and I do creatine in my protein shake. And I just do one scoop. Most uh, creatine is going to be five grams. Um, you don't necessarily need to buy the bougie one. So it doesn't have to be uh, the one that should be cheap. <laughs> should be cheap. You don't need to buy the Creatine other one. Monohydrate. Monohydrate. Should not cost you more than $10. Exactly. I know. That's, yeah, exactly. And um, I don't think that there's enough research supporting buying the expensive one. Um, you get the same results there's with not. there isn't, right? Um, so 
you can buy some cheap stuff. You just throw it in there. You don't need more um, than five grams usually. Sometimes up to eight kind of depends on on what you're doing, how big you are. Um, and then I do. I do a multivitamin from Thorn. Um, actually, I'm sorry. I take a multivitamin that's a good multivitamin from Pure... Pure Genomics, I think it's called. But Thorn is another company that I use a lot, and that is a reputable one. And, and when we're talking about quality, it is not the one that you buy at Costco. So if you're buying it in bulk <laughs> or if you're buying the little ones at Safeway or Publix or whatever, that is not going to be the same quality. And you'll find there's a lot of things written on the types of multivitamins and things that you will buy. You know, And, and it, I understand that. It's cheaper. It's there. It's easy. Um, but if you're going to do it, you might as well do it. And get the and get the stuff that is trusted for the Olympics. Thorn is products that is used for competitors in the Olympics because it doesn't have anything shitty in there that's going to be be tainted or anything like that. Of course, for them, but it's a good quality um, multivitamin that I stand behind. The PR Breaker is a good one. DeNovo Nutrition is a really good brand. Yep. Um, SSP is good, and all of those are they're created for drug free lifters. Yeah. And in athletes, so, you know, they're NCAA and USAPL and IPF, and they're all going to get you through all of those because they don't have anything. And they're not made in factories where other illegal substances might be made that can get into your supplement. So yeah. um, that's three off the top of my head that you can really count on there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think Thorne, that, like you said, that's another one. Yeah. I, um, I would say that those are my top. So it's the protein, creatine. Um, so that's daily. I'll have um, two shakes a day normally and then one scoop of creatine, my multivitamin. Um, and then I, for my period, I forgot to say this. I was doing this for a little bit because Devin was doing a little test bunny on me. Is leading up to my period, I was taking a D3, a C, and an iron. Um, and I never do those separately. And it, I actually felt better when I was doing it. So I'm going to keep trying it. And if you guys are out there and you want to try it um, and it's your standard uh, amount I, as the um, I use, I'm trying to remember exactly. I forget what the standard amount is, but um, that was something that I tried and, and it actually made me my symptoms feel a little better. So I'm going to keep with those it. Those are see. some of the things that you're most likely to be deficient, deficient on. Yeah, at exactly. That time, so. Yeah. And I never get sun. So, I'm so white right now, so there ain't no D3 coming at me naturally. So. Do you see me? <laughs> I have, like, no tan lines, okay? Not one tan line anywhere. And, you know, the other day I went outside with my kids, and I was like, you know what? I need to be outside more because I love nature. I love being outside. And so I find that if I'm in a bad mood, I just have to step outside and I feel better. So. And then you get vitamin D, and it changes your mood because that's what it does. It does. It helps with recovery. Yes, everything. So <laughs> wonderful. This was great, Christina. Um, I will post everything, have everything in there at the end so everybody can find you. And you're still taking clients, right? I am. Always. Always. Thank I you. I got assistant coaches. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Moving on up. Um yep. anyways, Christina is always taking people. You can always reach out to her on Instagram. Um, and thank you so much. 